That's a heavy scene. That is from the movie Fear Strikes Out, story of Jimmy Pearsall, 1957 movie. And um, that culminates after Jimmy Pearsall has a nervous breakdown on the field in 1952 as a member of the Boston Red Sox. Um, That culminated from a father, according to the movie and according to Pearsall's biography, who pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And it's depicted, I think, very well. I mean, keep in mind, the movie was made in 1957. Jimmy Pearsall would play in the major leagues from 1950 to 1967. He won two Golden Gloves. For those of you who aren't, uh, don't know what that means, that means he was very good defensively in the field. Two-time All-Star, played for Boston, played for Cleveland, played for Washington, the old Senators, played for the New York Mets for a short time, and uh, played for the California Angels. And <clears throat> the nervous breakdown, as I said, came in 1952. The movie was made in 1957. And in his biography, he talked about how his father's constant push of him to succeed um, as being a major deteriorating factor in his condition. And all this, they have since, and they didn't do this in 50, 52, or 57 for that matter, um, but they have since um, diagnosed his condition uh, as bipolar, and uh, some of us know a little bit about that, some of you know a lot about that. Um, and, and then the question comes up, can parents really drive their child or children to, to a bipolar disorder? I'm not, I'm not one to answer that question. I have read a lot of the experts, and they say certainly you can't do that, although you can have contributing things in your home that might cause that. Um, and here's the deal. We can leave, as children, the confines, children who become adults, we can leave the confines of the family that we were raised in either with a healthy view of life or with an unhealthy view of life, at some level, possibly, if it's unhealthy, of dysfunctionality. That's really what I want to kind of major on. And this is is really going to be kind of intertwined with some other very key uh, issues, as you'll see as we we move throughout this. First of all, I want to give you, I got, as I like to do, most of you who come here regularly know this, I want to just give you some thoughts about this from some of the great thinkers and writers and so forth. And uh, just to kind of get us thinking in this direction, Bertrand Russell, a philosopher, said this, Fear is the main source of superstition and one of the main sources of cruelty. To conquer fear is the beginning of wisdom. Edmund Burke, who was also a philosopher and a great writer as well, lived in the 1700s, No passion so effectively robs the mind of all of its power and acting and reasoning as fear. American psychologist who does some writing, psychiatrist, I should say, who does a lot of writing on these issues, David Byrne, said this, remember that fear always lurks behind perfectionism. Did you get that? Fear always lurks behind perfectionism. Confronting your fears and allowing yourself the right to be human can paradoxically make you a far happier and more productive person. And I think many of us maybe have come to realize that at times. Writer of uh, kind of a, at one time, it's no longer New Age, at one time called New Age Writing, The Aquarian Conspiracy, was probably your most famous book. Marilyn Ferguson said this Fear is a question. What are you afraid of? And why? Just as the seed of health is an illness, because illness contains information, your fears, watch this, your fears are a treasure house of self knowledge if you explore them. 
Don't just let them lie there, in other words. Now, I want to jump into this, and I'm going to, I may go some places with this that might surprise you, and that's okay. Um, I want to just begin by saying this. Fear, fear is used in many avenues of life, all wrongly. Now, is there a healthy fear? Yeah, and we'll address that more in a moment. But fear is used in many avenues of life, and I think it needs to be addressed not only from a family perspective, but frankly, the church, big C, because the church has, has traditionally used fear over and guilt, that's the first cousin, and the other cousin, obligation. The, the church, Big C, has continually used that to the point, excuse me, to the point that some people just have a really unhealthy view of God because they are so afraid of Him. They literally quake when they think about God. And there needs to be a healthy respect, a healthy fear of God. I'm going to talk about what that fear means in just a moment. But it needs to be addressed in, in every avenue of life. Um, we are not to be driven or motivated by fear. God never made us that way. I'm going to show you that. Uh, to properly deal with fear, I believe we must first get back to our most basic relationship, our relationship with our Creator. Let's just get back to the basics, as they say. The only people, and this is important to know, the only people who are who are to truly fear God are those who don't have a relationship with God, those who have not become in some form or another people of faith. If you have no honor for God, if you have no relationship with God of any kind, you might have something to be afraid of if we understand the Scriptures correctly. But I want to just center in on that now for these few moments, all right? Um, and I want to take you to a passage that Jesus, where Jesus is talking. Actually, I ran across this passage in some of my preparation for the new series coming up on the real Jesus. But uh, I wanted to use this and just kind of give you, this sort of says it all. Watch this. This is from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is saying this. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Not even a sparrow worth only half a penny can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head, for some of you that's not a big deal, but some of us it is. The very, sorry, I had to throw that in. The very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. See that? Don't be afraid. You are more valuable to him than a whole flock of sparrows. I've always found that an interesting passage because he says, fear God. Then he says, these intimate things that God knows about us. I, I get... I'm blessed that I have very thick hair, and I frequently go, and, uh, and we have my, actually my hairstylist, she'll be here in the second service, I think, unless she's here now, no, and uh, often I go in, I just think about this verse often, I know it sounds a silly thing, but she'll just, just do all kinds of thinning and everything else, because my hair gets thick, and then it gets curly, and then I look, you know, like a girly man or something, and, um, <laughs> sorry, I just threw that in for our Broadway guys, and um, they, uh, <laughs> They, uh, they know I'm kidding. Those of you who are visiting, I'm just kidding, okay? Take it easy on me. Um, but anyway, I, and she'll come in and she'll do all this stuff, and then I'll leave, and I've, I've often, no kidding, had the thought, because it's just, you know, just bundles of hair everywhere. God knows exactly how many hairs came off. Exactly. And that whole, that's just a phenomenal thought to me when you think about it. It's incredible. That's how, that's how big God is. He cares that much about me. I just, I don't know, that just blows me away. It's one, one of those little simple things that this kind of, 
Now, maybe you look at that and think about that and think, oh, okay, Rich, I'm glad you had that. No, I mean, to me, it's really something. But here's the deal. Look what he says there, and, and right after, uh, in the last part of verse 28, fear only God. And then he says, very hairs on your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. Here's the issue, folks. This is why, I've, 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 excuse me for a moment here, I've, just indulge me a little, a little stuff here, because I'm going to go into some, something that I don't normally do, but I really think you've got to see this to understand what, what God is after here. Because this goes back to fear. This goes back to a relationship with God. This goes back to a relationship with kids and parents. It's all tied in. I'm going to show you that. So just stay with me. But I want to show you the fear, the Greek word in the original. In the original I want to show you the Greek word. Go ahead and, and, and shoot that up there. Um, that is uh, phobia. Phobio. Now, where do you think, what English word do you think comes from that? Phobia. Yeah, phobia. Well, that's one of the great things. I didn't really learn English until I started learning Greek. I mean, uh, all of my English really came in three years of Greek, which is kind of a, kind of a cool thing, I guess. Um, let me give you the Greek lexicon definition for this word. It's, it's really twofold. Like any American dictionary, English dictionary, it has, it has different definitions. Here's the first one. To fear and be afraid. So what, that's what the word fear means. That's what the word phobio means. Okay? Now, here's the second part of that definition. To reverence, venerate, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. So, you say, what do you do with that then? If you're studying the Bible and this word in the English comes up in fear, how do you know which way it's supposed to be used? Scholars tell us we use the analogy of Scripture to try to determine the context. So we see this word can be used interchangeably to be, oh, I'm afraid, and also to say, God, I am in awe of your work and of your wonder and of your power, which is two totally different things. So what I, what I have done is tried to, how do I know which is which? And here's... Here's, the, here's what I'm going to do. Let me show you this next passage from the Bible. This comes from Romans, and I'm going to kind of make some conclusions for you here, all right? Here it is. Romans 8, verse 15. So you should not... This is the Apostle Paul talking to people of faith. Me and you, okay, if you're a person of faith. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into His family, calling Him Father, dear Father. For His Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. So you see the context here? When the Bible talks to the person of faith, the person who has trusted God, the person who has trusted Jesus, He says, you have a whole different relationship with God. It's one of intimacy. It's one of Father-Son interesting thing, too. Don't know if you know this or not, but, but many scholars tell us, and I, I believe this and have seen this, oftentimes, like it or not, oftentimes we get some of our views of God from our parents and particularly oftentimes our Father. It's a scary thought, isn't it? Hopefully, now, just for the record, you, if you had one of those not very, not very good fathers, you know, you can overcome that. If you had nasty parents, or you can overcome that by God's grace and by God's power. But it's just interesting how sometimes we have, to, we have this view of God who's abusive and, and, and big and strong and, and just wants to just beat us up. Where did that come from? Oftentimes it's a parental relationship. Sometimes we have the view where He's all good and there's never any justice. There's, you know, everything's just perfect. You know, and, and God is still a just God. That's not correct either. So it's an interesting thing. And I just, I just mentioned that so that you can... I think for those of us who are, who are parents and particularly fathers, 
We just need to be a little careful with that and keep that balance of love and, and discipline and, and grace and at the same time firmness. Just think through that a little bit. So here we are. We have this fear that, that is, in one case, a quake, what I call a quaking fear, and in the other case, a reverential fear or a reverential um, deference, esteem, veneration to God. And the line, as I see it, and as I understand the Bible, the line comes when we have a relationship with God. It's like I ha- I'm blessed to have had a, a, a wonderful father. He's not perfect, but he loved me, and he, he had good balance in and, and, and terms of whether love and discipline and so forth. And, and I, as a result of that, it was really helpful to me later on as I tried to become a, uh, the right kind of father and tried to emulate some of those things. I learned not everything because no one's perfect. But the point being this, we need, you know, they're, they're, I know him. I had a relationship with my father. And if I did something wrong and he was going to come home, was I afraid? Well, in one sense, I would, be, I would be fearful, but I wasn't worried about, you know, getting beaten up or anything like that. I just knew I had to face my dad who's going to be disappointed with my actions. And it's, it's funny because later on in life, as I become an adult, or became an adult and, and uh, was a long way from home, and I was in before I was married and I was in my 20s and stuff. And, and I, I remember two or three times having thoughts when I'd be places I shouldn't be and have, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning. And I remember thinking, what would my dad think? And it wasn't like I'm fearful. It was like, oh, he'd be so disappointed in me. And that hurt. That's the same kind of relationship that God wants with us. He doesn't want us just shaking in our boots when we disobey him. He wants the attitude of, oh, God, here I am again. I screwed up. I hate this, God. I'm so sorry. That's called a repentant attitude. And how does God greet that? With open arms and love and grace. That's how he greets that. So I I have just very simple things, and these are a little like take-home food for you, if you want to call it that. Three principles for how to be a healthy child of God and raise emotionally healthy children. Or, or uh, this is sort of the therefores of the whole thing, all right? Let me give you the first one real quick, all right? And that is this. Here we go. Fear and all its cousins is a terrorizing, nasty culprit. Or are terrorizing, nasty culprits. Fear and who are its cousins? For my purposes, guilt, obligation, bondage. Those are all nasty things. Anytime a church uses that to depict God, I get pretty angry. Because I get angry. Because that's, that's wrong. Anytime parents continue, and there's a balance, I understand that, but anytime parents use that as their main motivating deal, you're, you're building unhealthy stuff. In the, in the, in the little film clip. There's several film clips I wanted to show you from this movie, Fear Strikes Out. But one of them is, and you need to understand, in 1952, Jimmy Pearsall literally had, as I said, a, a nervous breakdown on the field. And before the scene that you saw took place, he's in the psychiatrist's office as they're dealing with all this, and he keeps talking about his dad. And he's, they're watching a baseball game on TV, Pearsall and, the, and his psychiatrist. And, and, and Pearsall is saying, he should go for the extra base. He should go for the extra base. And the psychiatrist is beginning to pick it up, and he's saying, who taught you that? He said, my dad says, always go for the next base. Go for the next base. Just keep going for that second base. 
the third, you know, the next base. You just stretch it out. Stretch a single into a double. Double into a triple. Triple into a home run. Whatever. And uh, the psychiatrist says to him, well, you, uh, you think a lot of your dad, don't you? And here they are, having had several weeks of therapy in, in the state mental hospital at that time. And Pearsall says this, and he talks about it in his biography as well. He said, I'm where I am today because of my dad. And then he stopped and realized what he was saying. When we use tactics of fear and perfection and we lose grace and love, oh, not very good stuff happens. And that's to say, that's, that's the least. So fear and all its cousins, it's a terrorizing thing. Fear is an effective tool. That's the problem. It will work. For a while. For a while. Now, just think about this and examine your own life on this. Maybe what's been done to you. Maybe you're still dealing with some of that stuff as an adult child of, of a person who just drove and drove and drove. Or, or maybe it was a coach or a teacher or, God forbid, a, a clergyman um, who just drove and drove and drove. And you're still kind of trying to get over that. Examine what effect that's had on you. Now, as you're doing that, I particularly want to talk to to the parents on this particular point. Recognize this. God doesn't deal with His children that way. Again, when we are in a relationship with God, He deals with us out of love and out of grace. He doesn't deal with us out of anger. Now, are there consequences to wrong actions? Yes, there are. That's just, you know, that's just the way it works. I can go steal something at the grocery store, and that's a sin. I'm going to pay for that in one form or another if I'm caught. I can go shoot somebody, and that's a sin, but the consequences are very different in the eyes of society, as they should be. But in God's eyes, it's, it's still sin, whatever it happens to be. And we come to God, and we come to Him in, in love and grace and, 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 and uh, attitude of, of repentance and an attitude of forgiveness, seeking love and grace, and, and God gives that to us um, every time, every time. He's not there to abuse us or beat us up or whatever. So recognize God deals with His children in a way of love and a love of, and, a, and of grace, and so should you. Do I believe in disciplining children? Sure I do. In, a, in an attitude of love. The old proverbial, this is going to hurt me more than it is you, son. Well, I mean, in a sense, that's really true. Don't like it, but you have to do it sometimes. But again, are you doing that out of anger? Not of venom, or are you doing that because I love you? And if you don't learn this, this is going to be tough life for you. If you don't learn, there are limits. You don't play in the street. Because if you do, you're going to get run over. Remember the issue I had to deal with? Just that simple little issue I had to deal with our son. He still plays in the street, but I tried. Um, no, nah, he's actually he's a great, great son. He's a great father, too. I love the day, though. I love the day. You, 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 you young parents will appreciate this. I love the day after they had their first kid. And, the, and, the, and, and Caleb is now, what is he now, 12? No, 9. 9. He's 9. And um, he, listen, he has the maturity of a 20-year-old. He's my grandson, you know. So, um, but I remember, I remember when, when Caleb was, his oldest, was uh, 3 or 4, him calling me. I, and he does this. He still does this. He called me late at night. He's a night owl. I'm a night owl. He called me. He, one night, and he just said, hey, Dad. Thanks for putting up with me. I was such a jerk. So, parents, there's hope. Hang on, okay? You young parents, just hang on. I mean, you know, 
might have to wait 20, 25 years, but that's okay, you know. It's, it, it, it's well worth it, and, and I think kids, kids understand that. He's thanked his mother more than he has me, by the way, and that's, a, that's the right thing to do in our case. All right, first thing, fear and all its cousins. It's a terrorizing, nasty culprit. All right, number two, God, I've already said, I'm saying God doesn't want obedience out of fear and out of obligation. He doesn't want that. I want you to understand that. I'm very passionate about that. Because I've sat where you, where you are at times, as a young man particularly in those formative years and thinking, oh, you know, that fear of God, an unhealthy fear of God, not understanding the reverence that, that, that should be there, but just a fear that God's going to come down and just strike me dead for all my sins, you know? It's a terrible thing. And you start making oaths to God and covenants to God and promises to God that you can't keep, and then you feel worse. You know, what kind of trash is that? What kind of relationship is that? It's a conditional one. That's not what God wants. He, he, it's His is unconditional. And we need to understand that. Um, living in fear, living in guilt and obligation, it's always wrong. When we violate God's principles, our response should not be, as I said, God's going to get me, but rather the disappointment that we experience having hurt someone who we dearly love. Now think about that with your parents, your children, just think about that with your wife. Let's just be real blunt about this, guys and ladies. You want your, I'm sure if we took a survey, I can't imagine anybody disagreeing with it. I'm sure if we were to take a survey of all the married folks, or, put, or the, even the folks that aren't married yet, and we were to say, do you want your spouse to be faithful to you? I can't imagine anybody saying no. Um, all of us would most likely say yes, we would. But, but let me ask you this question. Do you want them to be faithful to you because they're obligated to be faithful to you? Or do you want them to be faithful to you because they just love you so much? See, that's the issue. That really is the issue. Now, sometimes I suppose when temptation is strong, you'll take anything that it, that anything that it will take to get them to be faithful. But obviously, we're looking for the faithfulness that is derived out of love. For each other. That's what God's asking for us. That's what was missing in what we saw depicted on the screen earlier. God doesn't want obedience out of fear and obligation. Third principle that I want you to see. This is simple. God wants your heart. He wants your heart. I said this maybe last week or the week before. I don't remember when I said it, but it's okay because it was good. And I like to repeat the things that I say that are good because there's a lot of the other stuff too. But that, and that is this, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. It matters where your heart is. Let me show you this. One of my favorite, top five verses. One of my top five verses. Here it is. You ready? Second Chronicles chapter 16. Read it with me. I got it on the screen for you. Um, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I love that verse because he doesn't say the eyes of the Lord is looking for the guys who just do it just right, who cross the T's and dot their I's and, and they don't do this, they don't do this, they don't do this, they do this. It doesn't say that. He says God is looking for a few good men and women who have a heart for him, period. Boom, that's it. That's all he's saying. That is just so powerful. I love, that's why I love that verse so much. I just, I can almost do it from memory because I've read it over in different versions so many times. Um, Second thing I want you to see is from Hebrews. It's in chapter 4, and it goes like this. Watch this. 
That is why we have a great high priest. Here we go. Where is it? We got Hebrews back there, guys? There we go. That is why we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us cling to Him and never stop trusting Him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. Now watch this, verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne. Does that, does that have fear of, oh, I'm afraid of God in it? No. This is to the people. Of, let us come boldly to the throne of the gracious God. Then we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. That's a great relationship. That's what God says we're to have. That kind of boldness. I mean, that's some powerful stuff. So there you go. Three really simple principles. Fear, it's a nasty thing. Don't do it. God wants your obedience, not out of fear and obligation. But God wants your heart. That's where we are. And that's what we need to understand. Listen, that's how we relate to God. When we relate to God that particular way, then we can relate to our children and our parents in the same way. But here's the key. It all begins with that key relationship to our Creator, God. That's why Jesus came. And Jesus came to give us the ability to have a relationship with Him, with God, through Jesus, in love and in grace. Let's pray together, all right? Lord, we are so thankful that we can stand here or sit here and think through these things and pray through these things and know, Lord, that you came for us and uh, in our place <laughs> to die for our sins, to go to the grave and be resurrected and for you to be resurrected and, and do so for, for us to have life both eternally and abundantly. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you for the grace that that you've come to give all of us. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that we would go in that grace as well. In Jesus' name, amen.